you and I live in the day of information overload. Sometimes we can have so much information, we're really not sure what we ought to do. And sometimes it can be with the simplest of things. And too much information in trying to determine what we ought to do can almost paralyze us. Young people today have so many opportunities, so many choices, so many different things that they could engage in or do, and they're really not sure what they ought to give themselves to. It could be something as simple as acquiring an appliance for your home. A number of years ago, my wife and I were in the situation where we needed a new washer and dryer. The old one just gave up the ghost. And so we started doing our research. And we'd look online, we'd look at the um, ratings that the different ones had, and we looked at what people said about them. You know, you always got to read all the comments that people make, and not only about the different brands, but where you ought to get them, and this is a good experience, and that's a bad experience. And finally, we sat there, and we said, I don't know which one to get. We were paralyzed because of information overload. And what we find is life can be like that for us. That where we're confronted with so much information and not sure what to do, and we're looking for making the right decision, the perfect thing to be done, and the reality is we end up maybe not doing anything at all. And Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes addresses that very problem. Now, if you've been studying with us in the book of Ecclesiastes together, you know that this is one of the wisdom books of the Bible, and it's going to answer one of the most fundamental questions for any human being, a question that every one of us either subconsciously or consciously wrestles with, and that is, where is their meaning? Where is their fulfillment? Where is their purpose in life? And Solomon's premise is, is that if you are an individual that thinks the things of this world are going to satisfy you, are going to make you happy, are going to fulfill you, give you long-lasting meaning in life, you're going to be disappointed. We look at a holiday coming up Christmas, and everybody's being told of all the great gifts they need to get. But by and large, once the new year starts, many of those gifts have lost their charm. The point is, whether you're a child or you're an adult, Things of this world have no lasting fulfillment. And instead, Solomon tells us that if you want to have meaning, fulfillment, and purpose in life, your life needs to be built upon and focused upon God himself. Because only in him is there true meaning, true fulfillment in life. And you know, the evil one has been so actively at work that in the minds of individuals, even those uh, in some cases who profess to be Christians have the misguided perspective to say that if your life is built on God and focused on God, you're not going to be enjoying many things in this world. And nothing could be farther from the truth. All I need to do is to think about how God has embellished the world in which we live. 
whether we look at the beauty of landscapes, whether we look at the variety of foods that he's provided for us and their various tastes, we recognize our God has given us an abundance in this world to enjoy. And in reality, it is only those who have the right relationship with God who can find meaning, fulfillment, and enjoyment in life in spite of circumstances. Because we go through hard things in life. We all face disappointments and difficulties. And what undergirds and strengthens God's people is his amazing grace that holds them up as they go through those times of difficulty. And they still have a deep-seated inner joy, even though the happenings around them may not make them happy. That's Solomon's focus. In chapters 1 through 6, he lays forth that premise. You're going to be let down by the temporal things, their emptiness, their vanity. And your focus needs to be upon the Lord and building your life on him. And after in chapters 1 through 6, he develops that theme. In chapters 7 through 12, he brings out the deductions from it. So here's what you need to understand as you go through life. Because what Solomon does not minimize in this book is that life has its difficulties. Life has its disappointments. Life is hard. Life has events that will come to every one of us that are going to cause us to say, why me? And the reason is you and I live in a sinful world. You and I are living in a world that is in hostility against God. You and I live under the curse that was imposed when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, and the results of it are still there. You know why you grow old? Because you're under the curse. You know why you die? Because God imposed death as a sentence upon mankind for his rebellion. And that's why Solomon says, whatever temporal thing you engage in, it's always going to be brought to a conclusion because what awaits every one of us is the grave. And as we get older, we find we can't do things as easily as we did them when we were younger. And so Solomon is bringing this section of the deductions that he is making to its conclusion. That's why the passage that many individuals are familiar with from Ecclesiastes is, remember your creator when? In the days of your youth, before the evil days come, what are those? Old age. And you say you have no pleasure in them. And what's going to be true of old age? You don't see as well. You start wearing glasses or contacts. The windows are dim. What's going to come with old age? The teeth are gone. The grinders are silent. What's going to come with old age? We walk around feebly. It's the realities that hit. It's part of the vanity, the emptiness of this world. And God in his grace has designed it that way so that we remember there is something more important than having all the goodies that we can get in this world. 
And as he does so in this concluding section of Ecclesiastes, he has told us there is something that is of greatest value for any one of us as a human being, and that is having wisdom. To have a skill to look at the circumstance in which I'm in, to make the right decision so it's for my good, and from a biblical sense, at the same time, it brings honor to God. That's success in life, to have the skill to live life appropriately. And in the midst of providing instruction about wisdom, beginning in chapter 11, Solomon is continuing the theme of the fact that we live in a world where there are going to be leaders over us. Some are good, some are bad. There's going to be injustices, enigmas, perplexities, and problems. And as we go through the difficulties of this life, he says, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after or in many days. Divide your portion to seven or even eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain on the earth. And whether a tree falls to the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow. He who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, So you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening uh, sowing will give success. Or whether both of them alike will be good. So here we find Solomon is dealing with the reality of us living in this world. And there is a little debate about what is Solomon referring to in verses 1 and 2. Some individuals, and you'll read the comments that they make, say that he's talking about you and I should be involved in charitable activities. That I'll be dividing my portion with seven or even eight. And yet when we look at it in its context... While no one wants to minimize the fact that God's people are to be charitable, giving people. That God's people in the New Testament are even instructed. Don't lay up your treasures on earth, but where should you place them? Lay them up in heaven, because where your treasure is, what's it going to do? Dictate your decisions. That's where your heart will be. And so if you're living for all this world offers, your decisions are going to be based on trying to preserve it. And so we find the New Testament tells us that God loves cheerful givers. And I don't want to say that because I don't think this passage is talking about charitable giving, that it isn't an instruction that God gives to his people. Instead, I think it's talking about commerce. It's talking about work activities And so as he begins, as you and I live in this world where there's injustices and misfortunes and the fact that we're not sure what is going to be true tomorrow, what should we do? He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it in many days. Divide your portion with seven or even eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Now, if we look at the idea of bread, 
We know that bread in the New Testament speaks about your sustenance, what is provided for you. Even Christ, as he modeled a prayer for his disciples to understand what are the essential things for us to remember as we petition God, it is give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Now, if you are praying that prayer, are you just asking God for cakes made of yeast and flour? You're looking at something beyond that. It is a picture of what I need for my existence and sustenance on a given day. And therefore, the idea of your bread has to do with what you possess and how to utilize it. And what does he say to do with it? Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it in many days. In a similar statement, because Solomon is making pithy little, almost proverbial statements, he is doing it in a poetical fashion. So in verse 2, he's saying the same type of idea, but in different words. And so he says, divide your portion to seven or even eight. Now, let me use a proverbial saying that I think you're aware of. Don't put all your eggs, <laughs> see, you know it, in one basket. It's a saying that permeates our culture. It may even permeate other cultures because I have some not initially from America who are nodding also. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. What's it saying? Diversify. Diversify. What is Solomon saying? Number one, I ought to be investing. And individuals who are involved in telling us what to do with the resources that we have say that if you're going to invest, what should you do? Wise investing is diversification. Diversity. And so Solomon is saying, no matter how small my portion might be, since I don't know what tomorrow holds, what's wise living in this uncertain world? Make provisions for the uncertain tomorrow. That's why in the book of Proverbs, we'll use the example. Go to the ant, observe her ways. What does she do? She goes and gathers food and stores it up for the future. The same is true with many other animals that teach us this truth. Now, Jesus even told a parable that emphasizes the same concept. You remember the parable of the talents? And here is a rich landowner, and he looked at his possessions, and what did he do? He portioned them out to different stewards or responsible individuals that were part of his enterprise or his business. And he committed some to each one for their well-keeping with the understanding that they would be utilizing those provisions to benefit the individual or the master, the landowner who had given it to them. Same point. Distribute your portion to seven even eight. It isn't something you're going to realize right now, but what's going to happen? You will receive it. You will find it 
in many days. So the point he's making is, it's an investment made today that will benefit you in the future. And so you and I live in a world of uncertainty. You don't know what misfortune may come. And so one of your options for investment may fail. It may ruin. But if you didn't put all your eggs in one basket, then you have other opportunities that may be beneficial. He says, there are certain things that Solomon understood that you and I need to understand as well. And the first is, we live in a world and in a universe that there are certainties. If the clouds are full, what's going to happen? It's going to rain. Whether the tree falls to the north or the south, whichever way it falls, guess what? That's where it lies. What's the point he's making? He is taking some things that every one of us ought to understand. There are certain things in life that are certain. Just like you know that if the clouds are 100% saturated, it's going to rain on the earth. It's a fixed certainty. Just like you and I know, even those individuals who work as lumberjacks, they go and they try to make sure the way they, you know, put the wedge in the tree and the different things they do can direct the way it falls. Wherever it falls, that's where it's going to lie. There are certainties in life. What else is Solomon aware of? You and I can't control or change those certainties. I mean, we can, we can do rain dances to try to make it rain. We can have things that we can implement when there isn't enough rain so that crops are watered. There's ways that we can direct things to take place, but Solomon wants us to comprehend not only are there certainties in life that we can count on, there are also, is also the reality that some of those things are beyond our control. And yet, that is how it will be. The second thing that Solomon understood, notice he says, He who watches the wind will not sow. He who looks at the clouds will not reap. You know what he's saying? Information overload. You're doing all the analysis. You're gathering all the data. You're doing your research. You're looking for the perfect opportunity. And if you keep waiting for the perfect opportunity, it will keep you from doing what you ought to do. It'll paralyze you. He that watches the wind won't sow. Now, please understand how they'd be sowing. It isn't with all the mechanisms that you and I see uh, that the farmers have today and the way in which they can put the seed in the ground. They would be walking with a bag full of seed and casting it out as they'd walk along, right? And so if the day was too windy, they would begin to think, you know, I'm not going to be very productive in getting the seed where I want it to go. Then on the other hand, looking at the time in which we ought to reap, 
if I'm afraid I think it's going to rain, it's not the right opportunity to, you know, bale the hay and get the uh, grain in the uh, barn. They're not going to do so. In other words, if you and I in life keep looking for and waiting for the perfect opportunity, what I need to understand is it isn't going to come. And I am going to be incapacitated instead of accomplishing what needs to be done. Solomon also recognized that you and I are going to have trouble understanding everything that's going on. There's a phrase that Solomon utilizes in these few verses that makes us recognize our human limitation. Look in verse 2. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight. Why? For you do not know. Look down in verse 5. Just as you what? Do not know the path of the wind or how the bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Verse 6, sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. Why? For you do not know. What is it that Solomon is driving home? No matter how much analysis you may get uh, do, no matter how learned you may become, no matter how many initials you put after your name, the PhD, the whatever D's, and etc., you do not know. Do you know why we still have science classes? in schools all the way from grade school up through the universities? It's because we do not know. Isn't that right? People are still trying to figure out how things work. And there are sub-branches in science because man still doesn't know. We're doing all kinds of research because we want to come up with a cure for cancer, whatever the disease is. Because at this point, we do not know. There is a limitation to human knowledge. There are things in the world in which God has placed us that we don't comprehend. We know more today, we can say, than Solomon did. But Solomon makes it very clear as we read in the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs and other places where we have his writings. He knew about pressures and winds going in a circular path, highs and lows. He even knew about jet streams. He knew about streams or rivers in the oceans. And so we discover the Gulf Stream Etc., and we're impressed with what we know, but there's still things we don't know. There's still areas that need to be studied and comprehended. 
And man needs to recognize as human beings, there is limitation to our knowledge. And as we can see, while we can look at the reality of the path of the wind, there's things about it we're not sure, what compresses it, what causes it to go stronger or turn different directions, etc. We don't know how bones are formed in a pregnant woman. I still marvel at that, you know, single cell, it begins to divide and all the different cells that come out of that. We can talk about, oh, it's the DNA, it's all what's programmed in it. But what makes a lip cell different from another skin cell? What causes a cell to become an osteoblast and you form bone instead of being soft tissue? You do not know certain things. What a great mystery. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And beyond all of that is the fact that my immaterial self is my real self. It's what's animating now my material self. But when I drop dead, you're going to look at my material self. But I want to tell you something. I'm not there, but I'm still around. Because my immaterial self will continue to exist. And how is it that my immaterial self thinks and animates my material self? I do not know and nor do you. There's great mysteries that we have in this world. And so there is a being who knows all of it. And how foolish for us to ever think we're going to comprehend everything about God why he does what he does and how he does it. Just as you all have to acknowledge there's things in this physical universe in which we live that we don't understand and we're still learning and trying to grasp it and comprehend. How much greater is the fact that we do not comprehend the ways of God? But the reality is he is the prime mover behind everything, isn't he? That's why he said in chapter 3, he's the one that makes everything appropriate for its time. While the future is a mystery to us, it's no mystery to our God. And he is going to bring to pass what is in keeping with his plan to enthrone Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and have all the nations as the footstool for his feet. He is the one that is moving to be sure that what is for the best good of every one of his children at any given time is what's accomplished. Let that give you a headache when you think on it. The reality that he works all things together for good to every one of those who loves him. At every moment, You do not know. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today's God's gift. And what I need to recognize is I won't figure everything out, but I don't want to be overwhelmed by all the information that I can gather so it paralyzes me and keeps me from doing what I need to do. And so what is it he says? In spite of your limitations, sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening for you do not know whether morning or evening will succeed, will bring success. Now this is a way in which in saying you have the whole day before you. Engage yourself in the activities that you're called to do. How is it that God indicated through Solomon we ought to handle the affairs that we have each day? Do you remember back in chapter 9? 
Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it how? With all your might. Don't be half-hearted. <coughs> so if you're employed somewhere, you ought to be giving all of your energy to that job that you have as part of your Christian testimony. If you're a student in school, you ought to be giving your best effort because you're not just doing it to get a grade, you're doing it to please your Savior. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your strength. Don't be paralyzed because you're waiting for the perfect opportunity. You're not sure what you do today is going to be accomplished by it. You don't know if it'll succeed. You don't know if both evening and morning sowings are going to prosper. That's all in the hands of God, and you leave it with him. Because the race isn't always to the fastest. I'm back in chapter 9 again. Right? The one who conquers isn't always the strongest. God's the one that gives the success. And so, what's the point he's making? When you are being diligent in doing what you're called to do, you're an individual that needs to live by faith. The life of the wise individual living in an uncertain world doesn't find his strength and stability in what the world can offer. He or she finds her strength and stability in the Lord himself. I find it interesting that Paul, or excuse me, Solomon uses two examples of professions that greatly rely upon God doing something. The first is a sailor. And I've heard people say, if you want to learn what it means to trust, go to sea. You can't control what's happening in, out on the seas. But you've got to depend upon someone to take care of you in those harrowing experiences. He uses the example of the farmer sowing his seed. And the farmer has a profession that is greatly dependent upon God providing and making successful the work that is being done. If there's a blight, the farmer's crops are destroyed. If there's a drought, there's not enough to bring forth a fruitful harvest. The point Solomon is making is that for you or me to live wisely in an uncertain world we do what God's called us to do with the energies and strength that God gives us while depending upon and relying upon him to give us success in our endeavors. Especially for the young people here today, I want to tell you something. Life is an adventure. And if you want to get the most out of the adventure of life, you need to be sure you're walking with the one who controls it. And that's the Lord himself. Life is an adventure, a life of faith. And no matter how long you've walked with God, you're going to find that he brings you into the uncertainties in, uh, of your experience to where you say, I'm not sure what I need to do, what I should do. And so what is it you must do? Lord, I trust in you. I'm going to do what you've called me to do and leave the consequences with you. Information overload. Spend too much time analyzing. 
It'll paralyze you. You won't get done what is really most needful. But if you recognize today is God's gift and that what you have available for you is not only to take care of your needs today, but in diverse investments, getting ready for tomorrow and in all of it, that I do what God's called me to do, trusting him to give me success. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth and how I pray, Father, that you would be pleased, Father, to give us wisdom as we go through life, not depending upon our own ingenuity and resources and looking for the perfect opportunity, but, Father, to take advantage of the day you've given as a gift from you, to depend and trust in you, to accomplish what is for our best good. And Father, to leave our endeavors, our activities into your hand that you might make them successful to the blessing of others for our own well-being and for the glory of the only one who is worthy, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.